When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Tal Wilkenfeld and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again, Martin Popoff here back for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We're part of a vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, Megaphone, iTunes, Podbay, uh, over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. Um, so this episode is episode 117, The Birth of Post-Punk. Uh, this is a another good historical episode. Um, I love doing these, and uh, and B, uh, it's one that I go. I can't. I can't uh, believe I haven't done this before. Um, I had. I had. I had almost planned to do an episode where I was going to look at the meaning of post punk versus new wave, but I have so much to talk about, and I just love this kind of music so much um, that uh, I wanted to keep it separate from new wave, which is something I'm probably going to actually put down a little bit if I actually do an episode on new wave. Um, so we're not going to go into the differences too much uh, here. Um, so yeah, what is this idea of post-punk? Um, it's going to be a bit of a preamble leading up to our first track, but so post-punk is this uh, idea of a type of music that started possibly late 1977 into early 1978, really gets going through 78 through 79, and I, I am calling this the birth of post-punk because I only want to talk about these early bands that started off this particular type of music. Um, and what it is is uh, is a sort of um well okay so so there's an actually there's actually a big sort of uh, classic book on the topic by Simon Reynolds from 2005 called Rip It Up and Start Again and that really uh, that title actually really lays out what's going on here so punk was kind of looked down upon as a, as simple aggressive music you know slightly badly recorded maybe uh, to pick you know to pick up on uh, our our previous episode of History in Five Songs. Um, but there was this idea that these guys wanted to expand beyond punk and really go back into kind of the uh, quote-unquote art school uh, sensibilities of of rock music. Um, so it's it's a it's a new starting again. It's almost like anti-music and anti-punk at the same time. Again, getting back into uh, episode 116 with our our badly recorded on purpose idea. Um, there's a little bit of making strange music uh, on on purpose that is really bizarre and hard to like when it comes to post-punk and we'll get into some of those characteristics as we as we get into our songs but there's elements of dub and disco and synth rock and funk and definitely punk of course uh noise rock this is kind of the origins of noise rock maybe a little bit lo-fi as well um 
There's a little bit of a cross-pollination with the origins of Gothic rock. Uh, there's quite an overlap here. Um, but uh, but post-punk, yeah, post-punk obviously is a little bit of a wider thing than Gothic rock. doesn't have all the same tropes. Um, but, uh, you know, and there's also early labels getting involved in this factory, 4AD, Rough Trade. In terms of influences, it's really funny. Um, you know, in doing a little bit of research of what people are saying as influences, it confirmed my idea that there really weren't that many influences on this. This is why uh, this, this name of this Simon Reynolds book, Rip It Up and Start Again, excellent, excellent book. Um, really lays out what's going on. But, you know, I, I saw one list of influences that said things like Velvet Underground, Pink Floyd, David Bowie, The Stooges, Kraftwerk, and Sex Pistols. You know, that kind of lines up uh, uh, or or it, it puts in a big package a bunch of disparate things. But Pink Floyd, really? I'm I'm not so sure. Um, David Bowie, definitely. Uh, I can understand Roxy Music being put into this, but Bowie did so many different things anyway, so that's almost meaningless. Velvet Underground, I can understand a little bit because there's a little bit of a trancey, lo-fi lo droniness um, to certain things with post-punk. Um, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, looking at. Well, actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna save these for when we get into the songs, and I'm actually gonna I'm gonna read some other interesting things about post punk as we get in. But let's let's actually play a little bit of this, uh, and it will reveal some of the other themes. Uh, take a listen to this. This is our first selection here, episode 117, the birth of post punk. This is magazine with cutout shapes. So All right, so I love Magazine to Death, and they're my favorite of these post-punk... Uh, well, they're, they're one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, Howard DeVoto's absolute genius with uh, with lyrics and just the music. Um, I wanted to pick something. I'm not going fully chronological here. I wanted to pick something from their absolute masterpiece of a second album called Secondhand Daylight. I don't know. A lot of people think uh, the correct use of soap, the follow-up uh, over in Canada, maybe the States too. Uh, we got it uh, with a slightly different track listing called The Alternative Use of Soap. Uh, with a cool nifty uh, die cut uh, thing with the record label showing in the middle. Uh, they followed that up with Magic Murder and The Weather. Um, there was a live album in there called Play. The first album was called Real Life. Um, but, um, you know, some would cite as the origins of post-punk the original uh, issue in June of 1978. Um, actually, no, January 20th, 1978 of the single, uh, shot by both sides, which was on the debut LP, Real Life, in June of 78. But what I'm playing here is Secondhand Daylight from March 30th, 1979, because I just love this album. Um, so this brings up a point. Uh, one of the cool things about post-punk is that um, there's there's a lot of um, focus on bass lines and, and naked bass lines with guitar doing kind of 
chimey things or conversational things on top. There's not necessarily a you know a riff, a punk riff, a power chord riff, anything like that. Um, so you get you get a lot of bass going on. And what I liked with Magazine is that you get a lot of this fretless bass sound out of out of Barry Adamson. Um, you know, Dave Formulas keys. You know, I I often call this band the uh, the punk Pink Floyd. So. Here I am bringing in the Pink Floyd, but it's more because it's pretty proggy and strident and ambitious. Absolute 10 out of 10. Anybody, uh, you know, check out this record. Doesn't have much of an album cover. It ain't going to drag you in on that. But the the band's second album, Secondhand Daylight, devastating, like psychologically tormenting, beautifully recorded, beautifully played, not a punk album at all, not crazy noisy like post-punk either. It's actually kind of like a very classy and formal post-punk. So I, I definitely wanted to pick Magazine first because they're my favorite of the of all of these bands, hands down. Um, but yes, uh, the shot, shot by both sides as a single, you know, Howard Devoto, the cool thing about him is, is he's breaking away from the Buzzcocks. Buzzcocks are more of a punk band you might almost lean them into the new wave thing but they were definitely not a post-punk band but Howard Devoto leaves almost immediately and starts magazine uh and they they just do and and then they reformed later and and did some stuff later and he had this luxuria side project thing which was amazing as well um but yeah any anybody um if I could recommend anything, check out the magazine catalog. The first, uh, you know, the first albums that they put together. There were only four of them during that original run. Amazing, amazing stuff. Um, let's just take this opportunity, even to just uh, kind of expand upon post punk. This is something that I, I read. I, I believe this is just the Wikipedia page. Wikipedia is pretty good with a lot of this stuff, right? Um, it says. Uh, uh, though the music varied widely between regions and artists, the post-punk movement has been characterized by its conceptual assault on rock conventions. The, here's that rip it up and start again thing, right? And a rejection of, of aesthetics perceived as traditionalist, hegemonic, or rockist. So so it's the rejection of those things. So it's the rejection of, of standard hooks and verses and choruses and uh, and putting putting your ego out there on the guitar like playing well and playing solos i mean this is this is even more in in certain ways uh, anti anti even knowing how to play than punk was in a lot of ways so you get a lot of that with post punk as well um but i'm i'm not saying these people can't play i'm i'm just saying that um they they're almost they you know everybody's kind of kind of uh Removing any any flash and musicality at times uh, about this, and I'll I'll mention that in a big way with one of our honorable mentions later on. Um, but let's see what else does it say here. Uh, in favor of experimenting with production techniques and non-rock musical styles such as dub, funk, uh, disco, noise, world music, avant-garde. Some previous musical styles also served as touchstones for the movement, including the particular brands of kraut rock, glam, art rock, art pop, and other music from the '60s. Artists. Once again, approach the studio as an instrument using new recording methods and pursuing novel sonic territories. So you definitely get that on the drum end of things. You're, you're starting to see use of drum machines. You're seeing some synthesizers, but you're also seeing a lot of sparseness uh, as well. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's just move on. Keep this moving with, uh, with the musical tracks to also help you understand what this music is. Take a listen to this. This is Susie and the Banshees with Jigsaw Feeling.
All right. So Susie and the Banshees is also mentioned as one of the original, original post-punk bands. Um, This is from The Scream, uh, their debut, November 1978. So we're still in 1978. They had a follow-up, which is similar and just as cool, called Join Hands. Uh, then they changed quite a bit. They changed some band members and changed for their next album, Kaleidoscope. Made lots and lots of albums. Classic, classic band. Absolute critic, darlings. People love them. But I wanted to pick this because uh, this one's a little more guitar-y than our magazine one. But it shows that um, that that junky, garagey, you know, chimey guitar as rhythm thing that, you know, possibly you got from Chicken Scratch, you know, back in, in the funk days as well. Um, you, But you also get kind of the world music feel, the jungle feel. You also get, um, with post-punk, you often get uh, kind of tribal drum rhythms as well. Uh, these rudimentary drum rhythms, you know, as as a as akin to Susie and the, the Banshees, you might think of, uh, you know, polystyrene and X-ray specs. They were kind of post-punk, even though they were really early, uh, but they were bringing that saxophone in and kind of the yelpy female vocals. And along the same lines, the slits were very, very experimental post-punk, almost like really hard on the ears, hard to listen to. Um, but, you know, if you want to take this uh, this female vocal thing and uh, put it in a box, uh, you know, you basically have Susie and the Banshees, X-Ray Specs, and Slits. Um, but yes, um, definitely uh, all, all very pioneering post-punk bands. Uh, you know, but Susie and the Banshees, you've got Steve Severin there on bass guitar, um, John McKay on guitars, very influential post-punk, uh, you know, uh, pioneers uh, in, in this whole thing. Um, you know, at the wiki, it says on this, the screen was met with widespread acclaim and was hailed by critics as an original musical development in rock music. It has been cited as a key influence in a number of su- succeeding post-punk and alternative rock acts, including Joy Division, Killing Joke. See, Killing Joke is one that I'm not including here because I'm going super early here um well i mean they're pretty early too but they're they're more remember that metallica likes them they're they're more kind of like a guitar-y and dark and and just a little more powerful than most of these post-punk bands steve albini so there's your noise rock guy from chicago jesus and mary chain there's your there's your real noise rock noise rock and almost drone um but they're quite extreme but later uh faith no more don't really see it and and massive attack don't know much about massive attack uh anyways um there's your number two uh let's take a short break we'll be right back all right back again here uh on our episode uh 117 the birth of post-punk and again uh for birth i really picked these are the early guys that started off but the interesting thing about the birth is that you might say, oh, why why didn't you do the 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 um you know you know the originators or 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 like like the pre thing the proto uh, because there really is no proto as we discussed earlier there really is no super precedent for this um you know just like punk you know punk we 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 do that we do that line back to MC five and the Stooges and New York Dolls and Dictators and blah 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 you know Ramon starting it off but but with this um. It really is, as Simon Reynolds says, rip it up and start again. All right, let's go on to our next one that will prove this uh, even more so. Take a listen to this. This is Gang of Four with Not Great Men.
All right, I love Gang of Four to death. Um, uh, this is uh, this is from their debut, September twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. So we're still fairly early. Um, uh, March eighty one, they put out Solid Gold. Songs of the Free was mid eighty two. Um, the really cool thing about this band, they had these kind of weird, uh, you know, anti consumer society, slightly communist lyrics. Um, it, it was just kind of, yeah, it's all capitalism and communism to start out with. Uh, you know, tongue in cheek uh, is in terms of the title of the first album, Entertainment! Exclamation mark, because it emphatically. Even though this is a, a classic album and beloved and tons and tons of people love it, and the critics loved it, um, it is really anti-music and anti-entertainment. You really hear that in Andy Gill's, you know, uh, just noisy industrial, uh, you know, chiming, almost like he's beating up the guitar sound. And you've got these sparse rhythms coming from Hugo Burnham. Uh, John King has this kind of uh, laconic, I don't care about entertaining you sort of voice that comes up later with, uh, you know, perhaps your Ian McCulloch from... Uh, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen type thing, uh, but what a great band! Uh, my one of my fond memories and in being into this whole music business thing, if you can say I'm part of the music business. Uh, I'm not a maker of the music, so I never really consider myself that. I'm just a fan, right? Uh, but was uh, was meeting these guys when they played the Phoenix and get all my stuff signed, and it was uh, I believe it was the exact original lineup. Yeah, I, it was because I've got a lot of stuff signed by all four of them. Sadly, we just lost uh, uh, Andy Gill, uh, the guitarist. We just just lost him February 1st, uh, 2020. Um, people are saying that he might have been one of the first COVID deaths. He had a complete organ shutdown, um, but he had, was on some sort of tour of China um, and uh, and he died. And uh, this is kind of what they're thinking, that he might have been one of the very, very early uh, COVID guys. So that's not great to hear. Uh, but yeah, later they had albums like Hard um, and... and uh, Mall, um, the EP is classic too. This uh, this EP with the outside the trains don't run on time. It's her factory. Blah blah blah. He'd send in the army. Um, yeah. So they had kind of like political lyrics as well. That's one thing that a lot of people do say about post punk. Uh, is is it can be fairly political. I didn't really see a lot of that. Um. You know, at least in these in these uh, absolute original bands. Um. Anyways, let's move on. Let's play another one. Uh, this is track four. Uh, here of our five examples, this is Joy Division with Interzone. Okay, so I wanted to include Joy Division in this whole thing as well uh, because uh, absolutely classic, legendary band. Everybody knows the story of Ian Curtis hanging himself um, the day before they were supposed to go on their debut American tour. They only put out two albums. Uh, the first one, Unknown Pleasures, with the black album cover. Um, and then the second one, uh, Closer, was actually uh, put out two months after his uh, his suicide. So really, they only had the the one album before he um, 
before he died, but but that wasn't a posthumous album. It was an album that was done. And uh, again, very difficult music. Um, you know, if you were a, a metalhead, an angry young metalhead, or even a Pink Floyd fan, a fan of dark music, uh, you could definitely love this stuff. I mean, th- this also is uh, always talked about in the in the gothic rock origins thing. But they did tend to have riffs. They did tend to have kind of, uh, but they had some tribal rhythms as well, but they did tend to have you know, pretty, pretty straightforward rock and songs, as you can hear a little bit in the, in this interzone thing. Uh, again, with the post-punk, with the, with the sort of like a dreamy hypnotic state, um, vocals, uh, dark themes, um, you know, a reliance on baselines, sparseness. So, so with Joy Division, you had, you had, um, you know, baselines kind of drove things and you even had a uh, kind of, uh, you know, some distortion on the bass. That's another thing you hear from post-punk. Was Lemmy a post-punk guy? Uh, possibly he was. You know, I, when I was talking about guitar earlier, I, you know, I think about Alex Lifeson, uh, you know, progressing into those, uh, those 80s albums. And, you know, you could say Alex Lifeson became kind of a post-punk guitar player uh, later on. Um, but back to Joy Division. So, so on whatever bed of a rhythm they have, um, you know, bass is uh, usually pretty distinct. You have some some kind of stabbing start keyboards, and then you have guitar lines, which, like I say, sometimes they they will actually morph into heavy metal riffs. Um, but most of the time, uh, you know, it's it's left pretty star- sparse. And uh, you know, when when uh, we see these quotes about the studio being used as an instrument. You can almost say the studio is being used as an instrument in Joy Division um, because, uh, you know, it's not that the recordings are are really extravagant or even all that great, but if everybody is dialing it back down to like a 4.5, then the studio becomes as important as one of the instrumentalists kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was June 15th, 79. Uh, that was off of Unknown Pleasures. And then they put out, there was this double album called Still. I still have my vinyl copies of all these things. This double album, uh, you know, with the, you know, th- these have these really simple, odd, mysterious 4AD graphics uh, or factory records uh, graphics, um, you know, pr- produced by Martin Hannett. Martin Hannett's a really important producer in this whole post-punk thing. Um All right, let's move on to our fifth one. Uh, This is The Cure with Play for Today. All right, loved the Cure when they first came out too, but again, uh, post uh, or post punk pioneers uh, because they were refusing to do any of this punk stuff. Punk stuff was about power, and and you know it, you know, not so much flash in in flash playing, but flash in wanting to be power and aggressive and in your face. The Cure were were so quiet and so small, right? Uh, it was it was incredibly sparse, um, you know, songwriting. Um, the, the vocals are are actually almost uh, timid. Um, this is off of 17 Seconds, um, which is April 22nd, 1980. Their first album was Three Imaginary Boys, May 8th, 79. So they are in early on this whole thing. Then there was Faith, 
uh, 81, pornography, 82. I think the top was the next one, 84. The top, they really put a lot of window dressing on it then. There was even some heaviness going on. But yeah, just a really weird, mysterious band. So this whole post-punk thing was was a lot about the mystery and what isn't played and the darkness. And The Cure definitely had that. Um, treated drums, a little bit of keys, um, just a, just a, obviously they, they, you know, had the head on the door. They, they went on to become a really big band and do a lot, a lot of things. Obviously an immense band, but they're also a band that is talked about in the, uh, the origins of, of goth, right? As well. Um, so those are our five. Um, there was def a definite, definite sixth that I wanted to put in here. So I definitely have to mention them as an honorable mention first. Public Image Limited. When Johnny Rotten left and became John Lydon and quickly, quickly uh, became Public Image Limited. First issue, December 78. Metal Box, November 79. Flowers of Romance was the one that just freaked me out. That is one of the scariest albums of all time. 1981 bought that as a new release. Just if you want to talk about the mo as punk rock as you can get, this is this is Johnny Lyde, John Lydon at this point being more punk than the Sex Pistols ever were because this is absolute anti music. This is the most extreme of these post punk bands uh, of everybody that I've played here um, so far. Um, so Public Image Limited, very very important. Um, People talk about Adam and the Ants, and you know what? Uh, one of my uh, one of my honorable mentions. I'm I've stayed away, as you've noticed, from anything from America or anywhere else. Everybody here is from the UK, and I think I, I I'd like to keep it that way. I think this post punk thing is a real UK thing. But um, if we were to stretch, we could bring in the likes of again Per Ubu with their noisy industrial rock out of out of Cleveland, um, Talking Heads is sometimes talked about a little bit this way because here they are making this quiet, maybe Cure-like music, arguably. Um, but they're making this quiet, nerdy music. Um, they're anti-punk already during punk. So that's, again, the idea of post-punk. We are moving beyond punk. We are giving up all the, all that stuff we did with punk and, uh, and creating something new. We are ripping it up and starting again, right? Um, who else uh, would I talk about here? The pop group, Cabaret Voltaire. Um, did I say Devo yet? But Devo definitely from the States, uh, you could say, is a little bit into this. The Fall, definitely. Uh, Marky Smith with uh, with The Fall. I think it's Marky Smith, right? Um, they made a ton of albums, but you know, mostly they're moving on in time. So, um, And as we move on in time, people often talk about Teardrop Explodes, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen perfectly perfectly fit this post-punk thing but again their debut album crocodiles is 1980 heaven up here 81 uh you know ocean rain is one of my favorite albums love that love that stuff um what's the other one what's the blue one anyways um they move on and become quite famous at least in uh, in the uk um yeah porcupine uh from 83 but ocean rain definitely from 84 uh there was the self-titled from 87 these are literally you know we're way up in the years but these definitely definitely sound like post-punk albums um 
I just wanted to mention also, um, yeah, let's wrap it up there. But um, I just wanted to mention a couple of comments on our Recording Badly on Purpose episode. Paul ha- Paul Houghton writes in, Great episode. I love the idea of attempting to remove the studio as a barrier between the sheer wild rockiness of the band and the audience, but really just using the studio just as much to cover everything in dirt and sludge. So there's a good description of what I was getting at. Funhouse is such a good example of this and a personal favorite. Neil Young sprang to mind immediately, but that was already covered. Yes, I did mention that early Dark Throne and Ulver in the Grand Venom lineage, I suppose, with Celtic Frost and uh, Bathory, somewhere in between. Those were all mentioned. Metallica's Garage Days EP, don't agree. Uh, Anarcho-crust punk like Crass, definitely Crass, I would agree. Rudimentary Penny, don't know who that is, as well as Discharge and GBH and so on. You know, again, I think when you get into some of this stuff, they aren't really trying to record badly on purpose. Lots of Garage Punk Blues revival stuff from the 90s onward. Royal Truck Definitely, I agree with that. Gory's Oblivion's early Black Keys, super blown out and raw. Some of this borders on the arty noise rock, though. A lot of stoner rock bands really go for that retro dirt sound. It's funny how the standard bearer albums of punk and grunge never, uh, never mind the bollocks and never mind. Um, were actually so pristinely recorded. Uh, yes, true, but not Bleach. Bleach, I think, kind of does fit this. Steve Polari writes, great episode. You did bring up the Velvet Underground, and I would go with White Light, White Heat. Sister Ray was one take, and the producer left at some point during the jam. Trout Mask repl- Replica might fit in here. It's not really recorded badly on purpose, but it's anti-music. I mean, you want to talk about a post-punk. <laughs> uh, that That is actually a really good... Uh, uh, Captain Beefheart in general is actually a good uh, post-punk influence that probably doesn't get mentioned a lot. So that's kind of kind of interesting. And Steve also mentions, uh, and maybe Neil Young's Tonight Tonight. All right. If you like this episode and want to support me and future episodes of this, I only have the one way. Kofi.com rhymes with no fee. Kofi.com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. Uh, on that front this week, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission. He's got a lot of stuff on Spotify. He's like this kind of really smart musicologist, dance pop, power pop kind of uh, experimental guy. Uh, really, really neat stuff. You can hear a lot of his albums on uh, on Spotify and elsewhere. Obviously, he's got his, his official websites and stuff as well. Joe Becht, Bel Air Expediting. Joe's been coming on, uh, as has Andy, actually, on our Contrarians uh, 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 video show patreon shows that we've been putting together for the patreon subscribers so that's been really cool both wise music swamis good good stuff to hear bruce campbell tim derling tim's been coming on these shows as well andrew clark chris cook guitar david fisher jeremy french reed little reed's been coming on these contrarians shows as well a lot of research reed puts puts into what he says so that's really cool to see uh keith martin was very generous he was the big anchor of this week. Thank you. Take a break, Keith. Uh, Darren Kasabowski, Brian Sager, Michael Gendelman, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, and Aaron Steelman. Um, you can go to martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Again, uh, the big news uh, that surprised the heck out of me was I just did innocent little, I said, oh, okay, time again to put put in reprints of uh, Unchained of Van Halen User Manual and Black funeral uh black yeah black funeral into the coven with merciful fate uh both of those are almost sold out um so that was pretty amazing to see um just did 100 copies of each of those might might need them again at some point um but probably i'm not going to go right away um 
but yes, a few left of those ones and obviously anything else in print, uh, martinpopoff.com. Thank you very much. Go play some of this post-punk stuff. I swear I could almost, I could almost make a decision to listen to nothing but, but post-punk for the rest of my life and just research the heck out of it. That book, that book, that rip it up and start again, really gets you uh, kind of excited about learning more about this, uh, this really arcane and artsy uh, corner of rock history. Thanks again. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.